right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed therapist uh, specializing in OCD and anxiety disorders. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Um, This is a question and answer based podcast. If you have a question for a future episode, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, click on the submit a question link button. I will read it, consider it, and likely put it up on a future episode. Um, I've been talking about this. Uh, audio questions. If you record your own voice reading your own question and send it into me, it will go straight to the top of the list. And as is the the case for today's episode as well, we've got a ton, a ton. We've gotten a few audio questions, and I love them. They're fantastic. They're they're wonderful. So you can go over to, uh, you can send me a shared audio uh, file over at uh, Fearcast Podcast. Send me the link, the Google Drive, or however it is. You can go over to Instagram, uh, which is where this one came from. Uh, I am Fearcast Podcast over at the Instagrams. You can send me your question there. And um, again, send me a PM over there. Find me, um, Fearcast Podcast over there. Send me a message. You click on the little microphone thing. It records it. It records it into like minute-long chunks. We've talked about this, but that's fine. You can can ask a question in minute-long chunks. And you know what? Ask me several questions in minute-long chunks. I can, through the magic of technology, edit them all together and make it sound good. Make it sound like one singular question. So... All right. I have an audio question coming up today, as I mentioned, but you know what? It's a little short. I'm, I'm going to try to power through that one and see if I have time today to do uh, one from uh, the email. So one that somebody actually messaged me over at fearcastpodcast.com. So uh, I think that's all I have for today. Um, my question for all of you out there is, are you attending an OCD walk? Now you might know what this not know what this is. An OCD walk is a um, it's not a compulsion, as much some of you may be wondering. Um, it is a fundraiser, I suppose, for local IOCDF, so International OCD Foundation affiliates, um, and they're going to be all over the country. And by the country, I mean the United States, because we are United States centric, because we're American, and I am one. So I apologize, rest of the world. Everyone else is valid too. Everyone else is valid too. I was going to make another like uh, uh, America's awesome joke, but I just don't feel a need to. Anyways, um, I do love other countries. All right. Anyways, anyways, the point is um, there's going to be all these things going on, and you can attend one. So uh, if you go over to iocdf.org, there's going to be you can probably find some information there about your local walk. You might need to drive to get there, but it's going to be a, a a gathering of a lot of people who um, uh, who are either therapists or supporters or uh, uh, advocates or individuals um, with lived experience with OCD, all being there at the same place to support one another to be there uh, and to show that there is a community. This is one of the things I love about the OCD community is that there is a community. And it is filled with such wonderful people. I keep making this point that I hope I don't sound too cheesy. It's great. The people within the OCD community are fantastic and the OCD walk is a great time to then meet people and to support uh, the, the the various local organizations that are trying to get good information out there. I will be going to the one in Costa Mesa, California. So if you are there, um, uh, find me, high five me, however you would like to communicate. But um, uh, if you want to be there, that would be wonderful. So I think that's all I've got for everybody today. Uh, let's jump into the question or potentially questions depending on how long this first one goes. So here's my first question from 
Annie. What is the appropriate ERP for when you are doing your exposures and the feared consequence has happened? Not once, not twice, but three times. And I'm just wondering, it has to do with fungus, and I'm just wondering what's reasonable and what's not in the way of ERP when it comes to fungus in your nails. Um, I don't know how to deal with this, and I feel like it's reckless to just expose to people that have it because I've gotten it so many times. What are your thoughts? All right, Annie, thank you for that audio question. Again, she sent this question over to me via Instagram, uh, and it, it recorded well. It sounded great. I love it. it, it there, are, there are real people out there who have your questions, everybody. All right. So um, I feel like I'm missing information in this, Annie. I feel like there's, there's something about this that I, I, perhaps I'm not, I'm not understanding or perhaps wasn't conveyed in this. So you're asking for what's the right ERP for your, for your fear and knowing that you, you're, you then, your worst case scenario, the feared consequence, the feared outcome is actually happening to you. So it sounds like your feared outcome is that you are going, you are going to get fingernail fungus and that's the worst case scenario. So, so theoretically, if that's the worst case scenario, by ERP standards, you need to then find people who have fungus or have um, uh, something going on with their hands and expose yourself to them through contact or through just being in their vicinity and running the risk that you may get this fungus on your fingers. So, the and but you're then saying, well, this kind of sucks because I'm then getting this fungus. Um, and you said that it's reckless to expose yourself to people who then have it. Um, and you're trying to figure out what the right ERP is. So, so I think there, there are a couple of different things that may be going on here, Annie. Um, and and I'll, I'll try to give you some ideas on, on what to think about. My main question for you, for you to try to figure out, and if you're not, if you hopefully you're working with a therapist on this to help uh, um, kind of boil down or get to what a good ERP strategy would be for you, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and then to and then to put that in, into practice. Um, but I, what what's missing for me is is I, I wonder if the feared story is not. It, it, you're not quite at what the feared story is or what the feared outcome is. Now, don't get me wrong. It sounds awful to have uh, fingernail fungus, and I don't want it. And you know what, Annie? I don't want you to have it. And there are very few people that I would want to get this, um, you know, a, a, a fungal infection underneath any part of their anything. Um, I don't like fungus pretty much in general. I don't like eating mushrooms. I think they're gross. Y'all who like them, y'all can have them. But they're not for me. So having them underneath, growing out of my fingernails does not sound appealing or appetizing in any sort of way. So I can imagine why, well, all right, this, that, that's joking aside. You are experiencing a, you're experiencing a fear related to the idea of getting this fungus. All right. You mentioned, so again, I, I think there's something related to looking, if it, all right, ugh, I want to answer this in so many different ways. All right, let's just go just on the, on the, on the bare bones of it. Okay, let's say that, you, that 
let's say, I'll agree with you, your feared outcome is that you get this fungus and you boil it down through all these different options and you've talked to your therapist and you said, the worst fear for you is that you get this fungus. Okay. So then you exposed yourself to people. You you gave yourself permission to be around people who have this fungus or, or, or you put yourself in a position where you could be at risk of getting this fungal infection right? A lot of times with our exposures, what we're trying to do, we're not trying to live dangerously. You're trying to put ourselves in dangerous situations. We're trying to put ourselves at risk of that danger happening, right? So, for example, um, let's say it's a harm example, right? A harm OCD. Well, we want to put people at the risk of harming other, other people. We don't want them to harm other people. We want them to be at risk at, at the danger, the possibility of it, right? If you are if you are in my office, person out there who has this, I want you to be the risk of harming me in some type of way, if that's the fear. So I'm going to give you my knife and we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to pull out a legit knife in my office and run the risk that maybe you're going to lose it and grab the knife and stab me or disembowel me, whatever you might do. And we put you at risk. I'm not going to ask you to do it or do something that's blatantly dangerous and just flail your arms with said knife. But we're going to expose yourself to the possibility that that feared story that you might lose it and take the knife and harm me based on this kind of um, maybe vulnerable self-theme that you, that you are a violent person and that you are um, just, just on the cusp of doing dangerous and, and harmful things to other people, right? If that's the story, all right, we want to put you in positions where that might happen. So it might be that. It might be driving at, at night. It might be driving and driving with distractions, right? I'm not going to have you drive with your eyes closed or drive with your feet or something silly. We're going to drive like a normal stinking human being and run the risk that maybe something is going to happen. Now, the same thing is going to happen, you know, a lot of times with like, Let's talk about relationship OCD. We do that a lot, right? We're going to run the risk that maybe we are in the wrong relationship and we're going to continue in that relationship anyways and then wait for that thing to dis- for us to discover that truth, right? We are going to watch movies with gay characters in it. We are going to go to Pride. And by the way, it's June 2nd. Happy Pride to anybody out there who is celebrating or who is an advocate for somebody um, out there. So, but we're going to go to Pride. And guess what? We're going to quote, see if you turn gay, right? If that's what the fear is, or see if you change or you discover something about yourself or whatever it might be. It's at putting yourself at risk of danger. Now, Annie, you're successfully doing that then. You're putting yourself at risk. And guess what? Sometimes when we put ourselves at the risk of danger, things happen. In no way are exposures designed to be foolproof and to be fully and completely safe because there's oftentimes no way to do that. And in fact, to do an exposure that's completely safe may not be an exposure, right? It may not tap into that anxiety and be clinically significant for us to do or clinically relevant for us to do, right? Like if I say, hey, client, you're worried about harming somebody. So I'm going to give you this knife, but it's not a real knife. It's, it's a, it's a picture of a knife. All right. That's not putting somebody in danger. That's not putting me in danger, right? They're not going to kill me with a paper cutout of a knife, right? The knife I have is a knife. It has sharp edges. It has serrations on it. You turn it inside out or you you flip, flip a button on it and the knife pop or a saw pops out of it. My, my group used to call it my Dexter knife, because if you wanted to just completely kill someone, you could. Anyways, um, 
we want to be at the risk of it. And Annie, you did it. You're at the risk of it. So unfortunately, this is now where we then say, well, you're you're doing it. And unfortunately, these are the consequences of it. But then my question to you is, is it that bad? Given it doesn't sound great, but is your worst fear as bad as you thought it was going to be? Or is it just kind of an inconvenience? Is it kind of annoying? And can you live with it? It sounds annoying. What is the right ERP for it? Annie, it sounds like you're doing it. Now, I, I would say part of that is, is again, to say, you know, sometimes S happens, right? I'm going to not use my pirate language today, but sometimes it happens, right? Like if we, I, I've, I've heard this story, um, Jonathan Grayson tells this story about like, um, you know, a client uh, that he knows or worked with or whatever the case may be, um, you know, who had this fear that he was going to do, that, that this person was going to do something and a family member was, was going to die or something like that, right? So they, you know, processed it and challenged the uh, the thought, et cetera. They, they set up some exposures for it and they did whatever the thing is that they're afraid of doing and their dad died. Now that sucks. It really sucks. And man, was that a terrible coincidence, terrible coincidence. Now the question though is, is it causal, right? Did the person do something to cause it to happen? Now, I, th- I bring this story up as that's important information for all of us to know. For that client, I th- think that, the, and this is what Grayson came up with as well, is that he would say, you know, we're not, we're not going to wait for, co- for um, coincidences. We're going to look for a causal relationship. So if this happened once, all right, that stinks and is terrible and is awful, and we're going to mourn that. And we're going to wait to see, we're going to do it again. We're going to do the exposure again, and we're going to see if it happens again. And not once, not twice, but we're going to wait three times because three times seems to be a you know an arbitrarily good number to then see maybe you do have a superpower and you can start to kill people. Now, if that's that person's superpower, gosh, isn't it good to know? It might be good to know that you have the power to not wash your hands in you know intervals of three, which then you know kills a, kills somebody. Like I think that the example I use is like I think the Defense Department wants to know about this because gosh I think there are some really bad actors across the world that they that wouldn't it be nice if you just I don't know happen to think about that person while you didn't wash your hands in in intervals of three, and that person just drops dead and maybe frees a country from some despot right now it's a silly example obviously right but it you know if this is a thing that is going to happen for someone with this you know quote unquote this superpower. You're going to want to know about it, but we're going to have to test it out for it to, for us to see. But we want to see if this thing is consistently happening. Now, Annie, you said this is happening for you. Okay. Now what? Is it that bad? And part of it is then to say sometimes when we do our exposures, something bad happens and it stinks and it sucks and we don't like it. And that's part of then living life is to then accept that sometimes you that you may be more susceptible to this. So can you work on maybe having maybe having some compassion for yourself that whatever it is that w- is within your 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 body or your makeup that is more susceptible to fungus and, and fingernail fungus, and that's just part of who it is that you are. I am more susceptible to bronchitis and pneumonia. I've gotten it more times than I can count, and I challenge some to find someone who's had it more than me. And it's not that this is the worst. Like, um, what is it? Uh, uh, this is the worst flex ever, right? I've had pneumonia more than you. Ha <laughs> ha. Anyways, it's it, this is just who I am. So I. 
I don't, I don't freak out. I don't get upset. I don't get angry that I get it. It's kind of like, well, yeah, of course I get it. It's what I do. Almost no matter what, I'm going to get it at some point. So it's when it happens, I kind of ride through that. Is there a way that, Annie, you could accept that maybe this is part of who you are, is that you get this fungus? Now, my question is ultimately going to be, I don't think it's it. I think it's something else. I wonder if it, if, what does it mean that you get this fungus? In other words, so what do you get it? Is it that it means you're a gross, nasty, horrible person? Does it mean that, as you said, reckless? Does it mean that you're a reckless human? So what does it mean that you're reckless? Does it mean that you're, uh, you are thoughtless? right? Does it mean that you are, you know, you don't care for yourself or that you have, you, your picker is off and that you are around dirty, gross people that happens to get you? I, I don't know. This is my speculation and I'm wondering what is this vulnerable story? What is it that is so scary about getting fungus? I would love for you to explore that with your therapist. What does it mean that you get this? And can you expose yourself to that idea the idea that maybe you get you get this and what that says about you, what that means about you. And what is it that you're gonna have to now live with if it were if that were true? What would it mean for you if that if whatever that fears were true? So if you're do so again, there are two parts to that. One, what's the right ERP? I think you're doing it, but I think I wonder if there's more that needs to be looked into and it's beyond it's 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 just underneath this ERP. So I don't think I I wonder if you're doing the right exposures in the first place, which is your question, but I think I wonder if you're looking in the right direction. So any that's that's what I have for you. Please 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 get back to me. I messaged you on um uh, Instagram um, let me know. Uh, give me a little bit more detail because I think people would want to know, but um, I wanted to get this out there for people to listen. So, um, hey, everybody, if you have feedback for Annie as well and would like to message me that, uh, you can send it to me over at fearcastpodcast.com. You can write it on the episode page. You can message it to me uh, through Instagram. I would love to put up your thoughts on what Annie should do or should consider moving forward on this. So, um, you know what? I got some time. Let's power through this. So, I have another question. This comes from Zach. So, Zach says, Hi, Kevin. I suffer from what I believe is called compulsive staring slash private parts OCD. Basically, when I look at someone, either a man or a woman, I, I unwillingly notice and look at their private parts if it's in my field of vision. I believe they notice, and they say parenthetically, um, uh, they, they might cross their legs, adjust their top, or, or, or the like. Um, and then they go on to say, uh, which makes me incredibly anxious uh, and basically becomes a vicious cycle and has become quite pervasive and a cause of extreme anxiety in my life. I think it may be related to the fact that I care a lot about what other people think of me. Well, we're going to get back to that, Zach. Um, I also have peripheral vision OCD, and uh, which I think is related to the above OCD, in that I feel anxious when I can't f- unfocus or divert my attention from people that are in my peripheral vision. Um, are you able to address this, please? Also, do you think or know uh, whether EMDR treatment is or can be an effective treatment for this? Thank you for the great podcast. All right, uh, Zach, awesome question. Thank you so much for this. Um, Oh, man, I, I know this was such a this was this was after a while ago, and Zach, I apologize for it being for so long, but I'll tell you, we I had a backlog and a whole thing. All right, we're gonna get to this. Uh, da, 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 there it is. All right, 
so this is something that is is pretty common. Again, the the um, uh, aforementioned uh, Jonathan Grayson has talked a lot about this. I know he just did a podcast on this recently, and unfortunately, I've not listened to it. Uh, it's through the OCD Stories, um, so hopefully, I should listen to that before answering this. And yet here I go. Um, but it's, but it's a common thing. I've certainly worked with folks who have this worry, um, uh, this worry that like, oh my gosh, what if I look at somebody's private parts, parts, their their chest, their groin, their butt, whatever it might be, and um, and then that feared story is to, for the most part, what you identified, Zach, I think it might be related to the fact that I care a lot about what the other person think of me. So Zach, what are you worried about that is making this such a sticking point? What would be so bad if you happen to look at somebody's private parts? Because they're there. They have them. Presumably, they have them. Um, everybody, I suppose, has them um, for the most part, but they have them. So what would be so bad for you? Well, what are they going to think? What are they going to say? What would it then mean about you? What would it, If it were true, what would it then be true for you for the rest of your life? What is it that you would have to feel and experience for the rest of your life if that thing about you were indeed true? That, Zach, is what you need to experience, and that's what you need to sit with the uncertainty of maybe this thing is going to happen because I'm willing to bet, Zach, you have looked at people's private parts and they have not called you a pervert or gross or terrible or a, a, an awful human or whatever it is that, that might happen. I'm willing to bet that, that that biggest fear has not come true. And yet your brain still says, but it could. And Zach, it could. It could. I can't tell you that it can't because it could. Somebody out there may catch you, may notice it, and they may think something negative about you. But just because one person has an opinion doesn't make it true. I've had some people who do not like me and have some choice words about me, but I do not think that those things are then globally true because you know what, Zach? Other people have said some wonderful things about me, and I like to think that those things are more true. And historically, generally speaking, I think they are. So, Zach, for you, I, I would love for you to start to consider, like, what, what would be so bad about that? And maybe writing some scripts about it being true. Write that story about other people, like, catching you and it going terrible and then judging you and then maybe making a big scene about it and then you losing your job and then you get canceled and that you show up on, you know, some news story. Um, you know, Zach from, I don't know, Willamette County um, got caught. I don't know if you're from Willamette County. I don't think, is that a county? Anyways, from the Willamette River Valley. Um, he got caught looking at people's uh, chest uh, in the mall. Um, he got fired from his job, kicked out of his university. Uh, shame, shame, shame. Um, maybe that'll happen. And play that story out and read that story over and over again and sit with that anxiety and let that anxiety come in and go out without trying to solve it or figure it out. Because remember that in this, especially in this, your anxiety is pulling you into fantasy land. And that fantasy land is outside of the present moment in reality right now. Right now, Zach, <gasps> no one is calling you a pervert. And I'm going to pick that one just for funsies because that's been a common theme in the folks that I've worked with or that they're gross or bad somehow. No one's calling you that. But the brain says, gosh, what if they think, what if they might think this? What if they will think this? It sends it back to the past. What if those people did think that about you? 
oh, wouldn't that be terrible? So I better not look at this thing. And how does that work for you, Zach, when you don't think about the white elephant? Don't think about it. Stop it right now. It doesn't work very well, right? We all know what it's like to say, don't think about the white elephant or don't push that button. Whatever you do, don't push that button. You're like, I want to know what that button does. Don't push it though, but I want to. All right. When your brain says, do not think about this, do not look at this, that's kind of what you want to look at. Your brain says, what would be the worst thing for me to do right now for me, for my life, for my future, for my career, for my identity? Don't do that. I've worked with folks who that's part of their fear is they walk into a room and they, and they, they, this is generally speaking, someone who is Caucasian and they walk into a room with someone who is, let's say African-American and their brain says, you know, it'd be really bad right now saying the N word. So don't do that. And their brain goes, oh my gosh, but I have it in my mind. Okay. Don't say it. 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 And that's the biggest fear that they have. And they get worked up in that. And the more that they start to question the fact that they're worried about it, the more they start to believe that maybe they have that thought because they're genuinely a racist or that they are genuinely that thing that they're afraid of. Right? Zach, are you terrified that you might be the worst thing? And for you, it might be that you're a pervert or that you're gross. Now, usually our worst fear reflects the opposite of who it is that we are. Generally, the people who I've worked with who have this fear are wonderful, caring, thoughtful, loving, uh, not generally not gross people, right? But they're worried that they are because that's part of their identity that they value the most and they want that and they cherish that and they want that to be who it is that they are. So their brain says, let's protect that by identifying everything that would put that at danger. So I think that will, that may be what's been happening here. So, <clears throat> so what do you do about it? Well, unfortunately, Zach, he might need to start looking at people's body parts. I would say I want you to put that to the test. Now, I've already talked about scripting, and I also th- I still think that's valid. I still think that's an important thing to do. What I would love for you to do is I want you to go out and about, and I want you to notice people's body parts. And it doesn't mean you have to oogle and like really just like stare at people, like tongue out and drooling, and like say say things. But as you're walking by, notice, glance, and then look back and keep going. And we're going to wait. And we're going to wait until people catch you. Wait until people call you disgusting. And it's going to happen everywhere you go. Now, by the way, this is happening everywhere out there, everybody. People aren't going to notice people's bodies. People are going to notice that they have them. I can't help but notice that a lot of people's shirts happen to have some clever saying on it or some picture that I want to look at. And guess where it is? Right at their chest. So you look at one, you're looking at the other, right? It's tricky. It's a problem. So, but the question for you, Zach, is what does it mean for you? I want you to take that risk to look and then look away and then get back onto your life and then keep going and then look again at somebody else and keep going. And then when you meet someone brand new, you look and then you look at their eyes and you keep moving in that that conversation, right? And we wait 
And part of it, I'm thinking about the inhibitory learning model where we say, here's the biggest thing that I'm afraid of, and I'm going to pull back on my compulsive, quote, safety behaviors, which is for you, it might be to look away to convince yourself that you're not a terrible person. And we're going to wait to see if something happens. And if nothing happens, we don't, we need to remind ourselves and reinforce the idea that I did my worst fear and nothing happened. Maybe my worst fear is highly unlikely to happen, which is true. Our worst, biggest fear is unlikely to happen. So, Zach, I want you to practice that and to show yourself over and over and over again, I can, I'm going to do this and I'm going to wait. And gosh, wouldn't it be nice to know if, it, if you had that superpower of like the one-to-one relationship, right? I have this way of looking at people that, man, makes people just, they, everyone notices what, I, what I'm doing. Now, you also said um, y- your, your brain is giving you this um, confirmation that they, they notice because they cross their legs or they, they adjust their top. This is where your brain is looking for evidence to confirm the fear. And it only is telling you this one story, I'm willing to bet. Because people adjust their body. I bet you adjust your body. You cross your legs, you move your pants, you touch your shirt, you, um, you, you shift positions all the time anyways. And you don't know who's looking at you, but you assume that you're the worst and that all the bad things that people are doing are, or all the things that people are doing are because you're bad, right? Notice that you move all the time and do you move simply because somebody is looking at you? Probably not. You usually move because your body is uncomfortable. The clothes on you are too tight or too loose or too hot or too cold or too pokey or whatever. And that's part of living life. Notice what it's like for you because if it's, if it's true for you, it's true for other people. And that, this isn't, to, this isn't, by the way, to say that someone out there isn't moving because they notice that you look, but your brain is saying, well, it's gonna, it, it, everybody is doing this and it's proving this terrible thing about me. Well, Zach, we're going to put that to the test. All right. I've, I've yammered and yammered on that enough. Your last question is, um, and the peripheral vision OCD, I ultimately think is the same thing, or it can, maybe it could be considered like a sensory motor or a somatic obsession that you notice other people, but in that, accept that you happen to notice people and practice shifting away, shift back to the people that, that are in front of you. I mean, we could talk more about that, but I know in, in the sake of time, I'm going to try to zip past this. The other question that you had was about EMDR. Would EMDR help this? So I'm not an expert when it comes to e- e- EMDR. Um, I, I know that EMDR clinicians out there are going to say that there is some unique magic that comes in the things that they're doing and in, in the, in the um, bilateral stimulation, I believe bilateral, anyway, it d- doesn't matter. Um, my, my feeling and my understanding is that it probably won't be any different than doing just outright ERP. I think a lot of, I think in this perhaps might be jaded and maybe other smarter people can correct me, but the framework of doing something to then get you to do, um, the framework of doing like the, 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 the bilateral stimulation, I'm going to call it, I'm probably getting it wrong, that is helpful in the sense of saying, we're going to do this to rewire your brain it gives you some buy-in to then doing the activity without doing a compulsion. Kind of saying, all right, I'm going to do this because I'm stimulating both sides of my brain and I'm reintegrating and all this. And then it, it's, it's some good buy-in to do it. But guess what? That's exposure and response prevention. So you could perhaps 
cut out the middleman and do the thing and show yourself over and over again. Hey, you know, I did this and the worst fear didn't happen. Now, again, this might be a child's understanding of EMDR and maybe someone can correct me. But my, my feeling on this is they're ultimately going to have you be doing exposure and response prevention. They're just going to call it something different. At the end of the day, with all fears, no matter what approach you are doing, you have to face your fear. That's the only way to do it. The only way to ride a bike or to learn how to ride a bike is to put your butt on the seat and, and fall down a little bit. I can't learn around. I'm trying to learn. I'm still trying to learn to ride my, my unicycle. I apologize. I promised I was going to. I tried. I just suck at it. And then I, you know, fell off the wagon and a bunch of other things. Actually, I fell off the unicycle and then other things came up in life. Um, but I looked at it again while I was like in the garage. And I'm like, I might get back on that thing. My daughter's like, Dad, you should really practice your unicycle. I'll practice my bike. You practice your unicycle. I'm like, good thought, kid. Um, she's trying to. She's trying to make me a big dork. And the problem is I also found my juggling pins in my garage. And that's right. That's right. Your friendly therapist over here has juggling clubs. No one's surprised. You're not surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm a big old dork. And um, inevitably, once I learn how to do that unicycle thing, you know those juggling pins are coming uh, closely behind. Oh, my wife is super excited. She's not surprised. She's not surprised. All right, Zach, I think I'm going to leave it there. Um, I really appreciate this question. Hopefully, this has been helpful. Hopefully, um, between when you asked it and by the time I'm getting to it, that this was um, addressed and that you've been working on this. Again, everybody, if you have feedback for Zach that you would like to add to this, let me know. Go to fearcastpodcast.com. Send me something over at Instagram, and I'd be happy to put this up. I'm going to slide that uh, music in here right now. Thank you all so much for joining me for this episode. Um, again, go over to Fearcast Podcast. Go to Instagram at Fearcast Podcast over yonder and send me a question. Send me an audio. Again, I'm going to keep doing this until I stop getting questions and then I'll figure something else out to do with my time. Thank you all so much for joining me for this. Please remember, everybody, the Fearcast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you need a little bit of help in your recovery, go over to, you guessed it, fearcastpodcast.com and submit a, or click on the find help link and there's going to be some stuff for you there. So, Thank you all, everybody. And until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.